Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 119. Uh, This will be about uh, tithing. Interesting. I'll read the heading first. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Far West, Missouri, July the 8th, 1838, in answer to his supplication. O Lord, show unto thy servants how much thou requirest of the properties of thy people for a tithing. The law of tithing, as understood today, had not been given to the church previous to this revelation. The term tithing in the prayer just quoted and in previous revelations had meant not just one-tenth, but all free will offerings or contributions to the church funds. The Lord had previously given to the church the law of consecration and stewardship of property, which members, chiefly the leading elders, entered into by a covenant that was to be everlasting. Because of failure on the part of many to abide in this co- by this covenant, the Lord withdrew it for a time and gave instead the law of tithing to the whole church. The prophet asked the Lord how much of their property he required for sacred purposes. The answer was this revelation. The prophet Joseph Smith received the revelation on tithing on the 8th of July, 1838 at Far West, Missouri. The revelation came in response to the following question, which I just read. Joseph Fielding Smith explained, The Lord had given to the church the law of consecration and had called upon members, principally the official members, to enter into a covenant that could not be broken and to be everlasting in which they were to consecrate their properties and receive stewardships, for this is the law of the celestial kingdom. Many of those who entered into this solemn covenant broke it and by so doing brought upon their heads and the heads of their brethren and sisters dire punishment and persecution. This celestial law of necessity was thereupon withdrawn for the time or until the time of the redemption of Zion. While suffering intensely because of their debts and lack of means to meet their obligations, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery on November 29, 1834, in solemn prayer, promised the Lord that they would give one-tenth of all that the Lord should give unto them as an offering to be bestowed upon the poor. They also prayed that their children and the children's children after them should obey this law. Now, however, it became necessary for the law to be given to the whole church, so the prophet prayed for instruction. The answer they received came in the revelation. Although tithing had been mentioned in earlier revelations, this revelation established a new and exacting law to replace the law of consecration, which had been revoked by the Lord. The law of tithing, as understood today, had not been given to the church previous to this revelation. The term tithing in the prayer and in previous revelations had meant to them just one-tenth, but all, not just one-tenth, but all free will offerings and contributions to the church funds. Verse 1, Verily thus saith the Lord, I require all their surplus property to be put into the hands of the bishop of my church in Zion. In more recent times, the church has not called upon the members to give all their surplus property to the church, but it has been the requirement according to the covenant that they pay the tenth. It is remarkable how many excuses can be made and interpretations given as to what constitutes the tenth by many members of the church. It is written, however, that as as we measure it shall be measured to us again. If we are stingy with the Lord, he may be stingy with us, or in other words, withhold his blessings. Then again, we have 
we have those among us who are hoping for the coming of the law of consecration, thinking that in that day they are going to profit by the equalizing of the wealth of other members of the church. It is definitely true, however, that all those who will not obey the law of tithing will not be entitled to enter into the covenants of consecration. But when the day comes for the establishing of Zion and the, and the redemption of the earth, such people will find themselves removed. That was by Joseph Fielding Smith. President Brigham Young described the response of the saints to these to this revelation as follows. The brethren wished me to go among the churches and find out what surplus property the people had with which to forward the building of the temple. We were, we were commencing at Far West. I accordingly went from place to place through the country. Before I started, I asked Brother Joseph, who shall be the judge of what is surplus property? Said he, let them be the judges themselves, for I care not if they do not give a single dime. So far as I am concerned, I do not want anything they have. Then I replied, I will go and ask them for their surplus property. And I did so. I found the people said they were willing to do about as they were counseled, but upon asking them about their surplus property, most of the men who owned land and cattle would say, I have got so many hundred acres of land, and I have got so many boys, and I want each one of them to have 80 acres, therefore this is not surplus property. Again, I have got so many girls, and I do not believe I should be able to give them more than 40 acres each. Well, you have got two or three hundred acres left, yes, but I have a brother-in-law coming on, and he will depend on me for a living. My wife's nephew is also coming on. He is poor, and I shall have to furnish him a farm after he arrives here. I would go on to the next one, and he would have more land and cattle than he could make use of to advantage. It is a laughable idea, but it, but it but is nevertheless true, men would tell me they were young and beginning the, the world and would say, we have no children, but our prospects are good and we think we shall have a family or children. And if we do, we want to give them 80 acres of land each. We have no surplus property. How many cattle have you? So many. How many horses and so on? So many, but I have made provisions for all these. I have, and I have use for everything I have got. Some were disposed to do right with their surplus property, and once in a while you would find a man who had a cow which he considered surplus, but generally she was of the class that would kick a person's hat off or eyes out, or the wolves had eaten off parts of her. You would once in a while find a man who had a horse that he considered surplus, but at the same time he had the ring bone, was broken-winded, spavined in both legs, had the pole evil at one end of the neck and a fistula at the other, and both knees sprung. Wow, that sounds really like a good horse. Anyway, sorry for laughing about that. <clears throat> Getting more dignified here. Verse 2. So what is the purpose of tithing? For the building of mine house, and for the laying of the foundation of Zion, and for the priesthood, and for the debts of the, first, of the presidency of my church. The law of tithing was given to supersede for the time being a greater law known as the law of consecration, the object of which was and is to sanctify the Lord's people and prepare them for a place in the celestial world. To that end, it was designed to go away, or to do away with selfishness, greed, pride, envy, poverty, and all the ills that spring from such conditions, for none of these things can be admitted into the kingdom of heaven. It was, it was to institute an order of equality and consequent unity in which every man employed at that for which he was best fitted would be seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. It is an ancient law. It was practiced by Enoch and his people and later by the apostles and their proselytes at Jerusalem and by the followers of Christ, both Nephites and Lamanites, upon this chosen land. A brave attempt to practice it was made by the Latter-day Saints soon after this church was organized, but they lacked experience and did not completely rise to the occasion. 
Selfishness within and persecution without prevented a perfect achievement, so the Lord withdrew the law of consecration and gave to his people a lesser law, one easier to live, but pointing forward like the other to something grand and glorious in the future. That lesser law, the law of tithing, is as a schoolmaster, a disciplinary agent, to bring the saints eventually up to the practice of the higher law, and meanwhile to keep their hearts open for its reception when it returns. Those who obey the law of tithing will be prepared to live the law of consecration. Those who do not obey it will not be prepared. I often ask my students, which is the easier law to live, the law of tithing or the law of consecration? Uh, Think about that. We'll ask that at the end here. That is the whole thing in a, in a nutshell. The spiritual dividend that we draw from heaven as the reward of our obedience is the principled purpose for which the law of tithing was instituted. All the rest is incidental or secondary. That was by Orson F. Whitney. Rudger Clausen said, Everything that we do connected with this law of tithing points to spiritual things. What is tithing for? It is for the building up of Zion. Verse 3, And this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. Though it is a little known... Though it is little known, the command that the saints pay one-tenth of their increase annually required a greater sacrifice of property than that required by the law of consecration and stewardship as practiced in the early days of this dispensation. In the law of consecration, after the saints put their substance and properties before the bishop, they received a stewardship to provide for their for their needs. Later, if from the stewardship they had more than was necessary for their support, or in other words, a residue or a surplus, then they would contribute surplus to the church. The great difference in the law of tithing is that it requires the saints to pay a tenth of their income before any expenses are met, not from their surplus after their needs have been satisfied. Consecration is a higher law only when it extends beyond that which is temporal and involves dedicating all of one's time, talent, and energies that may be needed to building up of the Lord's kingdom. The consecration of property was the Lord's means to teach the saints that all things are his. In in reality, very little revenue was generated from the surplus that could be used for the building up of the kingdom of God. That was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. So, is it easier to live the law of tithing or consecration? Actually, it's easier to live the law of consecration because you're paying the surplus, that which you no longer need, whereas tithing is taken out of your income. And so, it's taken off the gross. So, it's easier. We should have been willing to pay or live the law of consecration. It would have been a better, easier law to keep. Just my opinion. Verse 4. Now, here's a definition of tithing that is used. And after that, those who have been thus tithed, or those who thus have, those who have thus been tithed shall pay one-tenth of all their interest annually. Howard W. Henry called the non-payment of tithing embezzlement. Ooh. The Lord's share came into his hands lawfully, but he misappropriated it in his own use. The law is simply stated as one-tenth of all their interest. Interest means profit, compensation, increase. It is the wage of one employed, the profit from the operation of a business, the increase of one who grows or produces, or the income to a person from any other source. The Lord said it is a standing law forever as it has been in the past. James E. Talmadge said, How much have you contributed by way of paying tithe, whether it be ten cents or a hundred dollars, for he had For be it known that the one who pays with honest heart the ten-cent tithe, if it be a true tithe, will rank higher on those books than the one who pays a thousand dollars when that is only a tenth of a tithe for him. 
What are we doing individually? I know what some are doing, for they have told me. Some are very busy trying to find excuses in the matter of tithing, as in other duties. Some come with strange questions. Tell me, please, ought I subtract this or deduct that before I calculate the amount of my tithes? Very seldom do I find it necessary to analyze the case and to give an answer direct. Sometimes I have smiled because I could see the perfidy of the questioners coming to me for excuses, and I did not feel complimented. But I have given him a rule, and I venture to give it here. I have found it helpful myself, and I think that all may profit by it. When you are in doubt as to just how you should calculate your tithes, reverse the terms, as we sometimes do in solving complex mathematical problems, and suppose for the time being that the Lord had said this, Let us postulate this as an assumed law given to the church. In order to show my love for my people, the faithful members of my church, it is my will, saith the Lord, that each one shall receive from my storehouse the storehouse of my church, at regular intervals during the year, an amount equal to one-tenth of his income. Now, my dear brother, sit down and calculate how much that the Lord owes you under that, that kind of law, and then go pay it to your bishop. What is an honest tithe? Tithing means one-tenth. Those who give less do not really pay tithing. They are lesser contributors to the latter-day cause of the Lord. Tithing means one-tenth of a person's income, interest, or increase. The merchant should pay tithing upon the net income of his business, the farmer upon the net income of his farming operations, the wage earner or salaried man upon the wage or salary earned by him. Out of the remaining nine-tenths, he pays his current expenses, taxes, savings, and so on to deduct living costs, taxes, and similar expenses from the income and pay tithing upon the remainder does not conform to the Lord's commandment. Tithing should be given upon the basis of our full earned income. That was by John A. Widsoe. Verse 5, Verily I say unto you, it shall come to pass that all those who gather unto the land of Zion shall be tithed of their surplus properties and shall observe this law, or they shall not be found worthy to abide among you. Full tithing is now a requirement to obtain a temple recommend. President Joseph F. Smith taught, By this principle the loyalty of the people of this church shall be put to the test. By this principle it shall be known who is for the kingdom of God and who is against it. By this principle it shall be seen who whose hearts are set on doing the will of God and keeping his commandments, thereby sanctifying the land of Zion unto God, and who are opposed to this principle and have cut themselves off from the blessings of Zion. There is a great deal of importance connected with this principle, for by it shall be known whether he be whether we be faithful or unfaithful. In this respect, it is as essent, it is as essential as faith in God, as repentance of sin, as baptism for the remission of sin, or as the laying on of the hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse six, and I say unto you, if my people observe not this law to keep it holy, and by this law sanctify the land of Zion unto me that my statutes and my judgments may be kept thereon, that it may be most holy. Behold, verily I say unto you, it shall not be a land of Zion unto you. Elder Talmadge said, Do you know that the, soul, that the soil can be sanctified by the tithing of its products? The land can be sanctified. Malachi said, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. There is a relationship between the elements and forces of nature and the actions of men. 
Melvin J. Ballard said, Do we not hope and expect to have an inheritance in the celestial kingdom, even upon this earth in its redeemed and sanctified state? What are the terms under which we may obtain this inheritance? The law of tithing is the law of inheritance. It leads to it. No man may hope or expect to have an inheritance on this celestial globe who has failed to pay his tithing. By the payment of his honest tithing, he is establishing a a right and a title to this inheritance, and he cannot secure it upon any other terms but by complying with this and other just requirements, and this is one of the very essential things. Verse 7, And this shall be an ensample or a pattern unto all the stakes of Zion, even so. Amen. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we uh, honestly pay our tithing, that we'll have the blessings of the Lord. I often hear also uh, regarding offerings that uh, the payment of fast offerings is uh, the beginning of the of the living of the law of consecration. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we generously give to the Lord, then he will generously bless us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time. Bye.